Happily Ever Brown is a podcast dedicated to uplifting and empowering South Asian girls by providing a platform for inspiration, education, and community. Our hosts aim to promote representation, amplify voices, and create a supportive community where South Asian girls can find inspiration, guidance, and a sense of belonging. On this episode, we are joined with special guest Melissa Shaw. Throughout this episode, she shares her experiences as a yoga therapist and her thoughts on the cultural appropriation of yoga. Hi everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Halfway Ever Brown podcast. My name is Suhani and my name is Peel and we are your co-hosts for today. So on our last episode, we kind of talked a lot about cultural appropriation. We mainly focused on that. And we talked a lot about how the Western media and the culture has kind of adopted and appropriated a lot of South Asian culture and practices. And today we, and one of the examples that we talked about last episode was yoga. And today we have a very special guest, Melissa Shah. Um she is the founder of Find Your Breath, which is, and she's an Indian American yoga therapist and works to decolonize how yoga is practiced in the West through one-on-ones and group sessions, retreats, and uplifting South Asian and Black Indigenous people of color wellness leaders. She also regularly guest lectures in teacher trainings across the world, where she educates trainees on the more subtle aspects of yoga, like mantra and pranayam. One of Melissa's greatest passions is to create and co-create supportive spaces for rest and exploration of self that are rooted in queer and trans-affirming, body-affirming, anti-casteous, and anti-racist values. Their work has been featured in NBC, Asian America, Yoga Journal, Anti-Racism Daily, and Shape Magazine. Hi, Melissa. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you all so much for having me. This is so fun. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. How are you all? Amazing. We're so excited to have you on our podcast. Yeah, I was pumped. Um, I was pumped to see your email. And then after listening to your first episode, I just had so much fun with it. Um, you know, obviously we are in different, you, we are both in different generations and mm-hmm. there was, there was still like so much relatability and all the stuff you all shared about your experience, you know, not seeing like enough representation in media or in, like spaces around you and I think a lot a lot of us um not only South Asians but like children of immigrants can really relate to that yeah definitely thank you for supporting us and listening that means yeah. a lot <laughs> so before we start we just want to ask you to kind of introduce yourself absolutely so thank you for sharing my bio <laughs> that was a, a great introduction um a little bit a little bit more about me. Um, I identify as a first generation um, Indian American. My parents immigrated to the U.S. from India in uh, 1980, 1985, and they had my sister and me pretty soon after they came here. Um, fun fact is that my parents actually moved back to India about eight years ago. So they had, we grew up in New York City where they raised us and they sort of did their thing there and then um, wanted to really um, commit more to like their spiritual practice. And so they retired from they retired from like their careers here and actually moved back to India. So, um, and it's in a way in a way it's like everything is coming full circle because I really I really do get to have a lot of opportunities in real time to like reconnect and deepen my relationship with my culture. Um, 
which I definitely felt like was more challenging, you know, growing up, my parents were more focused on assimilating. Um, some of the work that I do, again, you shared is that I'm a, I work as a yoga therapist. Um, I've been practicing yoga since I was really young, um, you know, before, before my teenage years. And um, a lot of the work I do right now is, again, really supporting people in small groups and one-on-one on deepening their own yoga practice, really connecting to their sense of purpose or inner knowing. Um, but I also really love teaching and teacher trainings and teaching yoga teachers on how to bring in more of the more holistic aspects of yoga and more of the um, underrepresented or misrepresented aspects of yoga into the practice. So basically any of those practices that like aren't asana or movement um, and really preparing teachers and helping them feel more empowered to share like a holistic understanding of what it means to practice yoga and be on a yogic path. It's a little bit about really cool. Thank you. Everything you said is just amazing. Like (laughs) how you grew up with it and how your parents immigrated back. It's just really incorporating all the things that we've talked about in the past. So thank you. you kind of answered it already. So like, what does yoga really mean to you? Because you said that you kind of got it from your parents, right? Yeah, like my, my mom, my mom more specifically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, I think, you know, you were saying like, what does it mean to you? What kind of place to have in my life? Like, I think more broadly to me, yoga is relationship. So from one of the teachers, uh, one of my teacher's teachers, Mr. TKV Desikachar, who's like the torchbearer of Vini Yoga, um, mm-hmm. which is a which is a type of, which is basically a type of yoga, but I would say like all yoga is yoga, and to some extent, and Vini Yoga is like really focused more on that individual application. So again, like really adapting tools for the individual person rather than um, having people like in, in set rather than having people have to encourage like themselves or force themselves to fit in what an idea of yoga should be. It's really the other way around. And one of the definitions I learned from my teacher who learned from Mr. Deskachar was that one, there's so many definitions of yoga. It's not just what we often learn in yoga class as uh, the root word yuj from Sanskrit, which means to yoke or mm-hmm. um, to connect or to unite. That's one of the definitions. Another one is sangati. Sangati means uh, like linking or in other words, relationship things are related to one another um and so to me like that at least in this phase of my life like that definition feels really strong for me that yoga is like how we are in relationship to everything around us so not just um our family and not just the people we live with or our friends but really everyone um everyone every being our environment and our teacher we my teacher would say a lot like you know that your yoga is working when your relationships improve or they get better um, and yeah. I think that's so true because it also really points to, it also points to how in the culture, at least that I grew up in, that you all are growing up into a more Western culture, there has for so long been this idea of like individualism, right? Like um, mm-hmm. you see that like people moving more towards like intergenerational households to like the nuclear family of like three or four and more isolation. And this idea of like Sangati or yoga being relationship, it kind of moves you beyond that of you know, my experience is still my experience um, and my experience is unique and it's also happening in relation to everything around me. And so when, I, when I'm when i keeping that in mind all the time, right, it, um, 
it helps me to feel a lot more connected, not only to my experience, but to my experience um, in relation to the people I'm in, in relation, in relation to people I'm in relationship with. And that really matters because it's telling us that you could do your practice and you can do your things to take care of yourself, but they, and they will also have a ripple effect on everything around you. It's not happening um, in isolation. That's really interesting. I'm learning, learning, <laughs> learning a lot right now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thank you. So we just wanted to like um, talk about like how, like we already discussed how yoga um, is incorporated into your life and what it means to you. But we just like wanted to know like, are there any challenges or daily um like problems that you have to face because I know that this is a lot to um like take on and there's so much to learn every single day especially when you're teaching people or doing your one-on-ones so how does it affect when there's like problems or challenges that you're like facing every day yeah so I, I think I want let me let me um ask the question back to make sure I heard it right so are you asking what are some of the challenges I face in the work that I do or um or how I move past them or overcome them or, or both? Both, honestly. Like, okay. So <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, it's a great question. Um, I can share, I can share about like one or two challenges and yeah, of they're, course. they're, they're a little bit, they're a little bit less so about like the one-on-one -on -one client work I do and maybe more just more just broader, like, a, yeah, like, yeah, like yoga, yeah. like yoga industry focus. And yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. I can't speak for everyone's experiences, but I, I do think that this can be potentially common for other South, South, South Asian teachers. These challenges of having to, or being asked to really like dilute or strip down what you are doing in yoga to like make other people feel more comfortable. In other words, like for a long time, um, teaching in studios or other trainings um, or teaching like in corporations, there, it was pretty common that I, would be asked to teach something, but asked to be teach it, like asked, asked to teach it in, the, in like their particular way, which is not, which is not uncommon, right? Like if you're teaching in a training, you also want to, you also want to be aligned with and abide by like the, tra the, the, the faculty's values and making sure that, you know, you're not like, um, doing your own thing you're all not, the time. Exactly. That you're not in conflict, right? That you're not in direct yeah. conflict with what their like main values are. And one of the challenges I would have a lot is it felt like it felt like um, there were spaces that wanted me there. I I know that I'm like good at what I do, but they really wanted me there, really because I had the brown face. It's like almost oh. like this whole model 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 minor model model minority myth of well, you're the right kind of minority, right? Because you're brown and like yoga comes from India, so if we have you here, then um, it'll give like more authenticity to whatever it is that we're doing. In other words, like the way I saw it was like it would make them it would make make them feel better about whatever appropriation. I felt like yeah, they were just doing. to like show the diversity, meaning like, yeah, we are. Exactly. Like token, like, like tokenizing. Right. And there was like a really long time where I was in areas where I was the only like Indian or South Asian teacher or like one of maybe a couple and mm -hmm. it, it made, it made that practice even more common. Right. And I, I found that really challenging because I didn't necessarily have the agency or the community at that time, the, the community support at that time to really have the space to think about like, oh, I'm actually being tokenized, you know, or this doesn't feel right. I would know it didn't feel right, but all I could see was this is an opportunity. And if I say no, then they're going to, 
they're going to just choose some other white yoga teacher to fill my spot. Basically like the feeling that you're just like, you're just kind of like disposable, right? Like if they can't like use you the way they want you, then you'll just find like another like white yoga teacher to fill your spot. And so there was always this feeling of, um, there was sometimes this feeling of scarcity, like the, I have to kind of say yes to everything, even if it doesn't feel right, because um, there's, there's only so many opportunities that are going to come my way because I'm not a white yoga teacher. Um, and then that was always like met with like the other side of the same coin where you're like exoticized too. And like kind of your culture is romanticized because you're, um, because you are brown and people can kind of like uh, use you as a token, right? To like make their brand or their offering seem more diverse or authentic, more authentic than it really is. And also what is this like, even what is this whole idea of like being South Asian, like makes you a more authentic teacher? Like that's not necessarily true either, right? Like yeah. you still still got to be a good teacher, right? You still have to, like, um, still have to and so it's interesting. Exactly, exactly. So th that's like, that's like one challenge. Oh, go ahead, Theo. Yeah, sorry, sorry. It's South Asian. So you're basically saying that, like, um, being South Asian is not the only criteria in this field of work. Like, you need to know what you're teaching about. And what they were looking for is just a South Asian person to fill that. Yeah, in. yeah. Or that's like, that's definitely how it came across you know? Mm -hmm. um, and it, it kind of, the challenge kind of developed into this, like, lack of trust, where even if I felt, even if I was being hired, like, for my skills, like, I would, I, I still am, like, in certain environments, I'm still always really wary of, like, why are they asking me? Is there another motive? And I think that, you know, that caution mm -hmm. is important, important for us, especially for um, teachers of color, you know, to make it, to make sure that, like, we're not being, um, like, taken advantage of. But it's also, it's also can be really unfortunate because um, I don't know, it, it, it can, it can make me a lot more hesitant into like stepping into certain yeah. working relationships Obviously, that could end up being really fruitful. Yeah, It's like really devastating because you actually have a passion in this and it's like when you can't fully do everything that you want to, that kind of affects it, right? Is that? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, now that I have like a, a good, strong South Asian, uh, South Asian community, thanks to like, you know, many, many South Asian teachers who have like been working even before, um, even before I have to really develop that community. Now that, now that I have like more people I can like soundboard with or che like check in with something on, like this doesn't feel right. Have, has this ever happened to you? Or sometimes like some of us are getting hired for the same opportunity and, um, you know, the few of us, like, we're all, like, really transparent with each other. We'll check in with each other, like, how much do they pay you? And making sure that, like, like yeah. that making sure that none of us are being taken advantage of, mm -hmm. um, yeah. which, which unfortunately happens all the time. Um, so I feel like yeah. the community piece is, like, one of the ways that I really overcome, overcome, like, so, have been able to overcome these challenges, like, with a lot more ease now, um, where I just have a lot more trust and confidence in what I do and how I do it. And, in my own values and um, how I want to approach my work. But I also, you know, having a strong community, again, comes back to like that definition of yoga being sangati, a relationship of none of us are doing this alone. And we need, we need a community and we need communities where um, we can just really be vulnerable, you know, and we can really share like, this isn't feeling right. And um, being able to have people that you can sort through this stuff with, you know, because Otherwise, like when we just pretend like it's or not pretend, but like when when we just keep acting like we're the only ones going through it. Right. Because sometimes it feels that way. Like when you have challenges with your work, it feels like it can feel really isolating. You know, yeah, it's just it only ever happened to me. 
Exactly. And it is right. Like I'm still having my own unique experience, but having that community Mm -hmm. and really actively practicing being in relationship, um, I think it helps to, it helps to soothe some of that. Right. And actually can help you, it can help make you stronger and more like more better able to navigate some of these challenges with work with a lot more confidence and a lot more ease because you know that people have your back, you know, you, and you also are being affirmed that this is not only happening to me, this is definitely happening to other South Asian teachers, which I wish it wouldn't. And it's also helpful that we're all just talking to each other about it. Mm -hmm. It's so nice that you were able to like build your own community. And now that you like have those people, you can like talk to them and get help if you need it. Yeah, 100%. I think, you know, there are a couple of, you know, there are a couple of people in particular that were like, were really pivotal for me in building this community. And I don't know if you've heard um, Sajal's, Sajal Patel's podcast, Yoga is Dead. Um, no, have y'all, have y'all listened to it? Okay. I think oh, both definitely, of you will, definitely will, think though. both of you will love it, um, especially after listening to your first episode. Um, and Sajal and Jaisal basically go through a whole season um, of podcast episodes talking about like a lot of the, a lot of the very prevalent issues of racism, colonization, like tokenization in the wellness industry yeah. and how that really impacts, um, how that really impacts all of us. And I think like through, through their podcast, um, we connected and I was able to like connect with some other teachers and just have these conversations more openly that we were all having with ourselves, right? But you just think that you're the only one experiencing it. Um, and I think it takes like, you know, it takes, it takes a lot of strength to create those more public facing conversations where, um, you're having, you're basically having these really challenging conversations, but on a bigger scale, right? Which means like people are gonna have all kinds of opinions in response to it. But one of the beautiful things about it is like, it's really developed a lot of community of a lot of us being like, yeah, like that's actually happened to us too. And this is not okay. And um, yeah, how, could, so how nice can we move forward in a way, you know? Yeah, it's nice that you can connect with others who have felt the same way. Yeah. And kind of connecting that to what we wanted to talk about next is, cultural appropriation. So when I was researching for our last episode, which was talking mostly just about cultural appropriation and how the Western media has appropriated a lot of South Asian practices, I came across your article and I read it and I felt like you would have really great insights to give to us because you seem like you had a lot of experience in that. So I was wondering if you could just share any like any things that you've like experienced or any differences that you've observed in the way yoga therapy is practice in the Western world, like compared to how you, how you run your own um, yeah. yoga practice. Yeah, like some differences yeah. between like yeah. Western and South Asian. Yeah, it's a really, it's a really great question. Um, you know, I, I sometimes refrain from making like big generalizations because not everybody in like Western culture practices yoga therapy in the same way. Um, but one, I would say like one difference I've seen in the way I've like learned how to practice yoga therapy. Um, and also I like the way I grew up with yoga was like through a therapeutic approach. Cause I grew up with, um, I was diagnosed with really severe asthma when I was really little. And that's actually what prompted my mom to start using like the knowledge that she got from her mom and her mom got from her mom on yoga and Ayurveda. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was always like my entry point into yoga was how can it be, um, adapted to each individual person. And yoga therapy, I mean, in a nutshell, like really does that and really does that really well. And I would say like one of the differences I see in the way that I've kind of learned to practice it 
And then I see other like Indian teachers um, or South Asian teachers in South Asia teach it is even though yoga therapy is this like really holistic way of seeing a person, I think because people are trying to make it more mainstream, say, let's say like the US and Canada, for example, are trying to make it more mainstream. There's like a, there's like a dissecting of it or like, rem or like a stripping down of some of the tools from this holistic understanding. So for example, like really over-medicalizing yoga therapy, kind of like prescribing, prescribing like one asana, okay, now go do this and come back to me. And I'm not saying that's necessarily wrong. Like there are teachers who do that, um, maybe in even India and do that well, but that is sort of missing the point, right? Like you're not really seeing the whole person. You're maybe seeing um, an injury or a part of their body that, um, like needs a specific kind of movement and that can be helpful but it'll only take you so far right whereas like yoga therapy is you're seeing all the dimensions of a person you're not just seeing what's happening them on a, on a physical level you're seeing what's happening on um an energetic level like how prana or energy is functioning in their body um you're seeing what's happening for them on a like a mental capacity level a behavioral level an emotional level so something that um might have been an emotional event for them, for example, like loss, right? And the grief that they might feel that's happening on a really, a really like deep, subtle part of their system. But it most likely like has some physical impact, right? Because it's all connected. So I think that when I see, when I see that happening, um, it just like kind of inspires me more to make sure that I'm seeing the, you know, the clients and patients I work with, it just encourages me to make sure that I'm seeing them more as a whole person as often as I possibly can. So even when um, it's easy to kind of get pigeonholed into, you know, I have this chronic condition or I have this like specific injury and I want to work only on this, um, it can be really tempting to only address that and not really look at or not really get like a holistic sense of the person. But the way I learned yoga and the way I see, um, you know, some of my teachers teach it too, like they're really always thinking about like, how is this tool I'm giving them going to influence influence other dimensions of their being? Ultimately, how are the practices I'm giving someone going to allow them to move toward balance or move toward a state of deeper clarity, right? So that they are more connected to themselves, and that's really that's really one of the one of the outcomes of yoga, right? Is like just being able yeah. to know yourself more. And so it's not to say that the physical stuff doesn't have any value. I mean, it 100% does, but I see this. I see the separation a lot. And my feeling is that it's coming from a place of, we need to make yoga therapy a more um, respected, quote unquote, like respected form of healing, a healing modality in the US or in the West. And so we're doing it this way to match up what like physical therapists are doing or what doctors are doing. And I can see like the function or the value behind that as like moving toward this bigger goal. But I also can see what we're really losing in that process. And I find it, um, I just find it really yeah. disappointing sometimes. Yeah. yeah, for me, like when I grew up, um, obviously I'm not an expert in yoga. I don't really <laughs> practice it that much. And I know, know very little about it. Obviously I'm learning a lot more now. Thank you, Melissa. But um, as I grew up, um, I learned like pretty basic yoga with my parents. My family would make me do it from time to time. And I was just like, what's the point of this? But I knew always that it came from South Asian culture and that it yeah. was um, uprooted from like our our um history and so like I remember being um in school like obviously I'm still in school but in elementary school I remember going to gym class and my white gym teacher saying okay let's do yoga 
And I was like, oh, yay, interesting. I will see how this goes. And so they <laughs> obviously, I like, I like, and my class is not very, whatever. We were, you know, we were kids. It was whatever. But um, I remember actually having a conversation about, her, uh, like, about yoga to, with her. And um, I always advocated for South Asian and just like South Asian culture and everything in my classes because I felt deeply connected to it because of my family. So then when they started playing yoga videos with like white people, just teaching basic steps and stuff, like obviously we were kids, but I would have, like I talked to her, but I was like, I would have appreciated maybe some type of more inclusivity. Like I feel like, why did you put on a YouTube video with a white person? There's so many videos out there that actually explain the culture and stuff. I feel like that's with like anything. Like if we go on YouTube and we search up like yoga like video like anything about that like it's usually yeah, it's been so like deeply westernized that some people yeah. forget where it comes from and um like I remember so many of the kids in my class being like oh my god it's so weird why are we doing all these weird poses and I just remember being like what why are you guys being so immature it's literally yoga it's so <laughs> that serious and so they yeah. would make fun of it and I felt like I was so weirded out and obviously I didn't have a deep understanding or like a connected understanding of why yoga is so important to South Asian culture but I knew that I didn't feel right about it and so I feel like that is something that is that could be corrected in some type of way just like absolutely. starting from like when you were young absolutely and I, I mean thank you Pia. I love that um, I love that example so much because when I was the same when I you know when I when I was that age at that time, yeah. like in elementary school, like we did, we didn't do yoga in school. Like it was not, it was not as mainstream of a thing in education spaces like it is now. And it was something that yeah. I would do like at Yourself. our family friend's house or my parents' house. And I would never tell my friends about it. Cause everyone's like, Oh, it, like no one knew what it was. And so if you tried to explain it, they would just be like, you're already kind of weird that you're in because you're Indian, but now you're even weirder. Right. Cause I was exactly. always the only, I was always exactly. the only Indian person at school. And um, it just, I think it makes me sad that that, you know that 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 you all are you know still having to like still experiencing that you know and I think I mean I think it's really great that the school is trying to incorporate yoga but this is another really great example of um okay so a step has been taken exactly yeah. a step has been taken to bring in this like really holistic type of wellness practice that can be really powerful for kids um you know in their different developmental stages and okay so we've done that for a while like what is the next step and I definitely yeah. did not have that agency when I was that age to have that kind of conversation with my teachers. And I think it's so powerful mm -hmm. that you went up to them and you were like, this is what I would have liked to have seen. And we just need more of that, you know? Um, and I think it's awesome that your generation is like really willing to have these like open, um, open conversations about this. Yeah, yeah. we're like pretty confrontational about it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so like that really... So like for that, for that yoga class, I was just like, why, if you're taking this step, why can't you just make it even more South Asian in a way? I feel like they never like, acknowledged it. Sorry? They never acknowledged that it yeah. was like South Asian culture. It's always halfway there and then forget about it. Yeah. And this so is that, the, I think, oh, go ahead. No, sorry. You can go. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, this is like just such a good example of that, um, that cherry picking, right? Of kind of taking yeah. out the pieces that feel like taking out the pieces that you know they feel are useful and sort of just like leaving the rest as if it doesn't really matter but mm -hmm. um 
when you take out when you take out all those other pieces, is the practice even still really the same? I, I mean, I don't necessarily have the answer, but I think it's just a, I think it's just a question that um, I would love, I would love more people, um, you know, yoga teachers, yoga practitioners, like educators who are bringing yoga into, um, into schools to just ask themselves that question, you know, um, yeah, and 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 sometimes it does take like a student or another teacher to say like, hey, like we should really incorporate these other aspects or here, you know, here are some research to learn more about this. And and sometimes like that is what it takes. And sometimes it's more than that, right? Like sometimes people actually know, they know exactly what they're doing, exactly. right? And yeah. and it can be, um, there's like, I don't know, there's such, to me, like the word that comes to mind is like, there's such an audacity to that, right? Mm -hmm. That knowing yeah. that like, no one's really holding you accountable. So you can kind of take what you want from the culture, take it out of context, use it however you like and leave the rest because you think you have some kind of dominance or power over us, but um, I'm I'm so I'm so glad to see that tide really starting to turn and change. Yeah, yeah. and so like that brings me to my like next question about your um, specific yoga therapy, which is like, um, do you bring any cultural elements from your um, culture or South Asian culture that like you incorporate, or is it just like in general your holistic uh, yoga therapy? It's a great question. Um, yeah, 100, one, I mean, 100% I incorporate other cultural aspects. I think sound or like doing mantra is a really big one. Mm -hmm, um, yeah. Ayurveda, for sure. I don't know if, are you both familiar with Ayurveda? No, we are. No. I am, Elisa. My mom is always talking about it. Yeah, so I mean, you're familiar with it, right? So it's like, again, yeah, it's like, it's like it, it's in your... Know... Go ahead. Yeah, I don't know that much about it, but I am familiar with it. Yeah, I mean, like you do... You're familiar with it because it's like also in your DNA, you know, it's mm -hmm. like what even like that thing. That's a thing now. Like I see like golden milks at cafes and they're like, you know, yeah. I don't know, like, like eight dollars. And I'm like, OK, yeah, like exactly. You see it and you see it like you. I know Peel, you were sharing earlier, like how you were sharing with your teacher about what you would like to have seen. And, and mm -hmm. what I heard you say was, you know, I don't know that much about yoga or anything like that. And I'm like, even if you don't know that much about yoga, like you are the like you're the expert of your experience though, right? Like you know how you felt when you were in that situation at school yeah, and you know you know what it brought up for you. And like that means something, you know, and that really matters whether you're an expert on the topic or not. Um, like you, you like you grew up with your culture, you know, and that, and that I think that has so much, that has so much value. And so even with Ayurveda piece, like there's, there were so many things as an adult, like I started to see around me and I'm like, wait, I did that when I was growing up. My mom gave me that. I did that. Like my grandmother did that. And now you just see them like kind of being resold and packaged to you like in a in a really like interesting slash different way, you know? Um, so what I think what that can bring up a lot is like frustration or um, like confusion too. You know? yeah. So I don't know. Um, like what, what do you all think about that? Like definitely like I feel like I definitely agree with you and like seeing like cultural, like I, I guess this is a little bit off topic, but like seeing like a lot of like things that we use in our culture, like as you mentioned, like at the cafe you saw, like I feel like, yeah, I feel like just seeing things from our culture and other places, like it can spark a bit of happiness, but also mm -hmm. the fact that it's not, yeah, like, like yeah, what are you saying? Why? Yeah, same thing, like, like, same thing with chai tea. Yeah, oh my god I'm excited to try tea um there's this really great comedian I forget his name I forget his name right now but I'm gonna find out I'm gonna remember it I send it to you all 
and he has a he has a really funny uh like a sketch comedy thing uh like on his instagram mm-hmm. on um when a south asian person becomes the first ceo of starbucks like their first order of business is to take away the chai tea latte and there's like an uproar and everyone's like revolting against him and he's like you don't even know what it means did you guys watch the spider-man movie yeah that was so good oh my god yeah i really liked it too even though it was a stereotype i was like whatever you know like this is actually at least they included like the guy saying like oh like it's not chai tea like it's just chai Mm-hmm. I know, and and then Spider-Man was like, "My bad, sorry, my bad." You know, <laughs> um, yeah, I I loved it. I like kind of jumped out of my seat. I was like, I don't care how much this has been done. Like, people still need to hear it because there's still chai tea know, everywhere. Exactly. So I don't care. Um, that was so great. But um, then, back back to your. Well, go ahead, go ahead. Oh no, what were you saying? I was saying that like I was gonna go back to your original question, but keep going. Mm-hmm. No, no I, I, if you guys still want to answer the question, just finish off. um like i've seen the cultural aspects we oh yeah we went on the ayurveda rabbit hole it's really like the ayurveda mantra piece um but you know with all of these bringing in these other cultural aspects into a practice like i always bring it in with the with still considering like what is the function behind the practice mean like how is it serving the person and so i won't bring stuff in simply because I'm like, oh, I think I think this is important because it's important to bring in these like cultural elements of yoga so people know that it's more than just like asana. Um, thing with yoga, yoga therapy, the beauty of like working one-on-one is like you can really curate and adapt things in a way that it's really working for what the person needs. And so t- sometimes like mantra won't be something I incorporate because mm-hmm. the person's either not ready for it or they're maybe not, not okay. open to it quite yet or um, for some reason, it's just like not the right tool for them, right? Um, and same yeah. thing with Ayurveda. Like Ayurveda can be a lot of Ayurveda we see on like, at least like in the West, like media is very like food focused, which food is a really important aspect of Ayurveda, but it's so much bigger than the only food. It's like yeah. a way you're living your life and a way you're seeing the world. Um, so sometimes I'll like, I'll, I won't incorporate like some Ayurvedic lifestyle stuff if um, the person's not comfortable with like it, lifestyle interventions in that way they're not ready for it or sometimes like food is just it's such a personal thing and sometimes like it can be really triggering and just not not the right approach um for me to have with that specific person so again it really it really depends on um like how that how whatever I'm bringing in is actually serving the person but those are a couple of different ways I bring in things that I grew up with and things that I found like were really powerful and useful um, yeah. for my own well-being and for my families and those are some ways I bring it in and I also explain like the history behind it and I'll give them like the Gujarati or Hindi or Sanskrit words but I'll explain the meaning behind it so they're not just getting these aspects of like this is South Asian or this is Indian so you yeah, should know it like it's yeah. exactly you want to really get, empower them and give them agency to really like learn and understand for themselves yeah they're getting like the entire experience of it yeah yeah so for me and Peel like when we did Bharatanatyam, like during our classes, um, we kind of got exposure to yoga in a sense. It was like, a, I guess, our cultural element that we were kind of connected to with yoga. We would like to take a break or to rest. We would like just uh, sit down. We would like get all calm. And then we would say Om. And then our teacher, we would see who would like hold it like the longest. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, just staying home like three so times sweet. would like bring us back to like a state of rest because we were dancing so much and it was just like a way to calm ourselves. Yeah, that's so powerful. I know. Oh. And then it's just like we grew up with seeing that and then we see like the symbol of Om tattooed onto people when they don't even know what that means. And that just brings cultural appropriation to another level once again. Yeah. And so, yeah. Like, and so just like in a general way, um, we already shared our thoughts on how we um, like view cultural appropriation in the Western world, not specifically on just yoga, but a lot of other elements as well. So we were just wondering like, what are your like just like briefly like what are your thoughts of just yoga being exploited or just like being talked about in more of a like a more of a western way and not really connecting it to the historic south asian culture of like yoga in general like how do you feel about it yeah that, i mean it's a it's a great question and a great point um you know i think of cultural appropriation like in the context of yoga like one of the ways i see it and this is, this is something I also like got more language for because of the Angel and Jissel's podcast and like their workshops and how in yoga, I feel like the cultural appropriation, like, you know, you're, you're taking, you're taking pieces, pieces of a culture, like at your own, um, you're taking pieces of a culture, like oftentimes out of context, but mostly the big connection piece for me is like the economic exploitation, like you're doing it for profit. So yeah. you're taking a piece of a culture and then you're trying to also like sell it and like make money off of it, which I mean, we see all the time in the yoga industry. And, and so it's so, yeah, it's like, it's a, and it's a really disheartening. And, you know, I think there's nothing, I mean, I have a, I have a business for yoga therapy and like, I, um, you know, it's something like I offer services and like receive like money for, for sure. And you see that, I see this a lot, like with like, you know, big studio chains who, um they turn they turn like yoga into some form of like intense workout you know like how how hard can you work out and then um you know you do that and then you kind of like say namaste at the end and it sounds like you're like incorporating the culture just by doing that but it's like one you're not even really using namaste the right way and two yeah. like doing that and then also teaching a whole class that's like so removed from Where what yoga really actually is it's just it just feels like it just feels really clumsy to me you know mm -hmm. and but all of it all of itself, right? And so I think as long as people keep investing in practices or spaces or um, industries like that, that's also, and not that it's like any one person's responsibility, but I think it's, it goes both ways, right? It's like people are offering it and they're kind of, they're also doing it because they're offering it in this way because they know like our culture, our Western culture, like tends to like overdo and overwork and be super intense and give 120% all the time. and going and going beyond your capacity is like a normal glorified thing here so when you have classes with like this really intense workout asanas like hot yoga classes for example where people are just constantly pushing themselves like past their limit yeah it's like it to me it's like a it's a really direct form of appropriation yoga yeah. and it's also like you're making studios so like they're making money off of this right and yeah, also and people people buy into that exactly and not that there's only one way to practice right again like you can use like the same asana and adapt it like five different ways for a person for sure. But um, yes, I also agree with you. Like this is really like, to me, this is like a really active, very current and relevant form of appropriation where they're also um, like exploiting the culture for economic gain. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're just not doing it in a respectful and culturally sensitive manner. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Also, I feel like a lot of people like, like they, I don't know. I feel like this new, like I don't know, maybe it's like a trend or whatever. But a lot of people are starting to become like, like wanting to become spiritual, mm-hmm. and I guess that and yoga is supposed to be like spiritual and like calming and. I guess that that's what leads to the appropriation, right? Yeah, for sure. I totally agree with that. Um, I mean, you can see this in even in um, like the even the whole like mindfulness movement. Like that's mm-hmm. that's like a whole that's like a whole different um, topic, maybe for a different time. But you see that too, yeah. like how um, different all these different forms of meditation. Like they just now they're just called like mindfulness. Now there are these courses like mindfulness-based stress reduction um, that are taught like in the workplace. Um, And they're, again, like, don't get me wrong, like they can be really impactful and really helpful. And I think that's the part where, um, I think that part is like where it gets hard for sometimes for people to really speak up because the response you'll often get is like, well, as long as people are benefiting from it, like who cares? Like if it's helping people, then um, how does it matter? Like how they get to the practice or why does it actually matter if we include like things around the source culture with the practice. And I think that like, um, I don't know if it's like intentional gaslighting, but that's how it, that's what it ends up being, right? Because it's one one saying like, you know, feel if you, like when you share that at your school with your teacher, um, they didn't really acknowledge it. Um, it makes it, it makes it really hard, I think, for people to speak up because the argument is often, don't you want people to feel better? Like, don't you yeah. want people to like, have less anxiety and like less pain and excitement. it's like well yes absolutely but like why do we have to disregard um why do we have to disregard like yeah being respectful toward the culture that it comes from or even like um being mindful about like how we might like how people might be profiting off of this stuff and like why that might not be okay or making fun of our culture at like our expense yeah it's just like the term yoga and just like yoga in general has been taken to a whole next, like a whole nother level. And it's just, it's so like big now that there's so many different parts to it. And like, yeah, we just don't really, we can't just pick and choose on each part. Yeah. 100%. And and luckily I think now, um, or thankfully now, like there, I think more and more, there are more and more South Asian teachers like getting more visibility and there are more teachers who um, are, who like have already been teaching these practices in a holistic way. Um, they're out there, right? And they're getting like they're getting like more attention, more visibility. And it, can, it like in in some in some ways, it can be easier to find those teachers now than like when I was starting out as a teacher a while back. So yeah. I'm really grateful for that, and grateful for like the different South Asian communities that are like um, connecting with each other and. Just it, just really like deepening that community so that we have we have each other to kind of lean on and talk about these things with because you know when I was when I was like in high school um, I didn't have these conversations with anyone except for like maybe my sister or my mom you know um, and even then like I didn't really have like the language or the words for it the way I do now so I think it's awesome what you both are doing. Yeah, thank you. Well, we really appreciate you speaking <laughs> and teaching us so many things about this teaching us so much about yoga and like we learned so so much yeah just your practice (laughs) thank you all so much it's so fun thank you so much for joining us too it means a lot and your insight on this is amazing so thank you so much it's really nice to have this conversation with you (laughs) thanks yeah same here
All right. So I guess that wraps up the third episode. Thank you so much to Melissa Shaw for joining us. And thank we'll you for um, thank you to everyone who's gonna listen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it may, it means a lot to us, and um, we're so happy that we could have a guest who actually knows so much about what we're talking about, what we wanna um, advocate for, and just going and moving on our journey. Yeah. So yeah, stay tuned. Bye. Thank you. We'll see you next episode. Bye.